0: Hello, friends. Once again, uh, we are back. But before we start today's show, I would just like to remind our Canadian listeners that tickets are still available to our two shows this August in the country of Canada. August 17th in Toronto at the Danforth Music Hall and August 19th in Montreal at the Beanfield Theater. So uh, once again, tickets still available to both shows. Canada, please come out to see us in Toronto and Montreal this August 17th and 19th. Let's start the show. The fact that you buy a ticket and that ticket represents like your passage, your seat on uh, a travel that is uh, appointed to a certain time that you can rely on basically arriving in your destination at the appointed time and then also you can bring a bag with you. Like now that basic service of like is 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 reserved for like the special subscriber club. <laughs> like forget for like fuck first class. Like if you just want to sit and have like a uh, Wi-Fi or like something to charge your phone with while you wait at the terminal. Like you have to be in like the the Delta Sky Priority Club, and no, you can't pay to be in that club when you arrive at the airport. You have to get their credit card for. You have to get a credit card debt to Delta Airlines. To, sorry, this is uh, you're just tuning into uh, our new, uh, the new, the new show. Complaints about the way things are. <laughs> things are not as good as they used to be. Everything's falling apart. Felix, hello.
1: We I'm I'm already hey. rolling. I've got my mic. I'm recording as well. I figure you guys can have it, but I'm here if you need any extra energy or whatever on, on this app.
0: All right. You can always use some extra energy. It's Monday, July 17th. It's Chapo checking in once more with you guys. Let's bless them. Fellas, Matt is still on vacation. Just me, Felix, and Chris for today. But um where to begin? Where to start today? Um Right before uh, I started uh, recording today, I was just checking in on our friend uh, Cat Turd, Cat Turd Two, who is, uh, you know, he's still he's he's very angry at Twitter still is, but this time with some good reason because basically uh, I don't know I don't know exactly how this works but um, people if you if you suck Elon's dick hard enough he sends you a check now on twitter like you get ad residuals or something
2: well like so i think like all the ad shit we saw is like it's not universal this is not like youtube i don't believe that for a second no not like if you're verified and like a certain amount of blue checks to reply to you you'll get a check it's like a complete lie and was like only given to people who go oh my god like thank you elon so like the krasensteins lives of tiktok (laughs) Like, the Krasensteins are the only good people who got money. Everyone else is, like, um, you know. Tim Pool. Like, yeah, no, yeah, it's something like that. It's.
1: I think Mr. Beast got some money, too, who I consider a, a fairly neutral figure, basically a, a product of, the, of pure internet.
2: Right, but, like, all these people represent, like, people that Elon wants to get on board. Like, one normal, mm-hmm. one whatever the Krasensteins are, and then, like, a bunch of, like, uh, rubes who already make up the majority of the customer base for Twitter blue, but he didn't
0: pay off cat turd, which is incredibly shoddy work. I mean, well, I mean, is it though? Because cat turd has been bitching about him nonstop for months now. So, I mean, like, and now he wants to check.
2: Well, I don't know. Like cat turd is, I mean, he acquiesces to everything else that cat turd says.
0: (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean like I'm I'm not so much interested in Cat Turd's like long ass response and he's just like complaining about how unfair it is and he's like uh, you know my my engagements and all the years I've worked I've put into my uh, Twitter account I just I was just more I'm I'm way more interested in the people who reply to Cat Turd because like checking Cat Turd's replies is like my favorite thing to do on Twitter and I was just I was just going through seeing some of the people responding to Cat Turd like cat turd heads turd heads out there <laughs> And uh, the first thing I come across is a guy named Don Looney, Don the Biker 6'6. And his bio says, stock trader, not financial advice, old man, lover of animals. I have a pet alligator, one shot, one <laughs> miss. This guy is just like cooked Florida, just that, that pure Florida. He sounds I, cool. I, yeah. Um, okay. This is, this is another really great display name Adam Brimson Designs. And this is a guy, uh, this guy with like a backwards hat and sunglasses, but it just says "artist," crazy, right wing conspiracy extremist. That's Adam Brimson designs everybody. So, so I know that the line has been,
1: um, that, you know, Elon has lost cat turd. Like what, what is he going to do with his project now that he's lost cat turd, but is it possible? And I, I know that, you know, nobody's ever lost money betting, uh, against Elon's stupidity, but is it possible that cat turd has lost Elon? Like, does Elon at this point just know that he doesn't actually need to pay this guy off because he's so addicted to the product that no matter what Elon does, he's only going to continue adding to the engagement. He's using the long tweets. He's continuing to post probably 18 hours a day. Like, you know, maybe to give Elon an, an ounce
0: of credit, he's like, I actually don't need to cater to this guy because he'll always be back. I mean, like, uh, Cat Turd will be back uh, along with um, Cat Turd fans like Philip yes. LaFleche. Oops, I farted. <laughs> Uh Ultra Mago Wordsmith, Carrie America. <laughs> Hodge twins, which are identical twin conservative comedians. It's it's all the same person, but uh I, I I love I like Cat Turd's fans more than I like Cat Turd.
2: I don't know. I like Cat Turd is more I like him more than any of the other conservative figures because I like that he was in like a uh he was in some like bullshit like Steely Dan type band in the 70s or 80s called like you know the the musty grapes or some shit
0: <laughs>
1: Such a beautiful color where upon your skin and the perfect shade of purple on a flower of permanent
2: He's like lived a more complete life than yeah. the others I feel like I I like capture I like that he I mean, all the other conservatives seem to just immediately like sort of dick writing Elon, but cat Turd, he has shown, I don't know if I'd call it integrity because he's just like ultimately complaining about nothing. Like he's just making things up and getting mad about them. But it's, it's something, you know, like he's, I, I appreciate how he's like, uh, great. Elon's in charge and I'm being, uh, deboosted boosted again. All these things that I have no idea what the fuck they mean. I think he's um, he's at least made Elon's life worse. And <laughs> that I like that about him.
0: Respect. Um, all right. Uh, the, the next thing I want to talk about is um, sort of a sort of a pickup of Felix, something you mentioned on our last episode uh, in regards to that griper. Uh, claiming that Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet was ghetto Shakespeare, Shakespeare for black people. Yeah. Um, and this is an example of somebody who was so bereft of any connection to any human being that they're just like, they, they don't have the references or life experience to even be properly racist. I would just like to um, keep that in mind at Chris. I just shared this link in the chat. If we could bring up, this is Charlie Kirk talking at the uh, turning points USA conference Over the weekend.
1: Yeah, one second.
0: And by the way, none of them
2: believe in affirmative action. You're trying to tell me if Sheila Jackson Lee... Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome aboard flight 781 with nonstop service from Houston, Texas to Washington Reagan National Airport. Uh, I want to tell you that we have Sheila Jackson Lee on board, and in the spirit of affirmative action, we have Ramon and Cadillac are your two pilots. They've never flown before, but they are black. Sheila Jackson Lee would be like, forget it, I'm off this plane. She would jump like, I ain't flying here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, um, You know, where to begin? Ramon, I thought he was going in <laughs> an entirely different direction when he said Ramon. <laughs> I've never, I mean, that like, this is the type of thing that you need to step down over. Not because it's yeah. racist, but because okay. it's like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, Oh, 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 uh, Oh, is it one of those Esteban's who's always wearing a do rag? Like what? I, you, you, you did not have the uh, racial knowledge to be leading TP USA. And then Cadillac Cadillac is just, I mean, what what do you even say to that? I don't even think anyone's grandfather would bring that up as a black guy's name.
0: I think he's I think he's thinking about like the Reagan era racist trope about welfare queens driving Cadillacs, but they didn't name their kids Cadillac Cadillac is his is his stock. It's just like you could tell he was pressed to kind of come up with something on the fly. And the fact that he came up with like a generally speaking a Hispanic name and then just a car he associates with black people. You're right. Like uh, his funders need to the, the board of TPUSA needs to get him out of there and bring in a real racist. Bring in a racist yeah. with some fucking, uh with some contemporary knowledge.
2: Yeah, th- this is just, I mean, I don't know which is more egregious. I'm honestly going to say Ramon just because it is, it's like, it's completely whiffing. It is completely just literally picking the wrong race. Cadillac, <laughs> at least, like, I could see a guy who's been intubated for the last 30 years laughing at that.
0: <laughs> but
2: Ramon confused everyone for sure.
0: Uh, and then uh, just, just one final uh, pickup on things, talked, things discussed in our prior episode. Um, so uh, we, on, on last episode, we seeking to raise this. We discussed uh, a gentleman uh, known as um, Andrew R 15. Well, I mean, this dovetails with last week's episodes in general because he went to go see The Sound of Freedom. And would you believe it? He now has a novel strategy to combat uh, child trafficking, which is to confront any, any parent and child he sees at a supermarket where the child is having a tantrum. Like, if a child is throwing stuff <laughs> on the ground because their parents won't buy them lucky charms, they're probably being trafficked. And uh, the, the way to intervene there is to have, like, the sweatiest oaf imaginable uh, um, stand his ground and like, you know, uh, approach at a supermarket, like women and children armed to intervene in human trafficking. Uh, the sound well, of freedom.
2: Well, he, he said um, he didn't go as far as as far as to say, like every child who's crying is trafficked, but he said nine times out of 10, it's just like normal child stuff. But that one time out of 10, do you really want that on your conscience? So, Ten percent of every ten percent, <laughs> every all children who are crying are trafficked
0: and and warrants some sort of armed intervention. Um, he's further explicated, um because, you know, it was a bit it was a bit controversial. So he has a, another long ass post where he just says, I may not have children right now, but I do want children of my own one day. And I found and if I found out something like this would happen to my child, not only would I pray for the wrath of God would punish the trafficker, but also to every lazy and stupid moron that did nothing. This is why I refuse to do nothing if I hear a child screaming in the store. So forgive me if I'm a little concerned.
2: <laughs> so like it, it, his hypothetical children have been have been trafficked and it's not his fault. But it's everyone who's ever been around them. It's their fault for not rescuing his children that don't exist.
0: He says here, now, I'm not some reckless vigilante that will take action the moment I hear a commotion. I know this is a very rare occurrence, which is why I will be careful to discern a situation. But I also believe that when this rare occurrence happens, we need to take action. We can't sit idle anymore if someone is actually in danger because no one is going to like it when something like this happens to themselves. And that is why the message of the sound of freedom needs to be heard. These traffickers and pedophiles are only getting bolder because they know that there's a lot of people out there that will do nothing and more people do nothing, the more power to them. That is all I have to say about this.
2: But like, has he <laughs> done anything, though? Because it makes it say it makes it sound like he hasn't like he had like no, he, he just yeah. he just came up with this. And now he's he just like, saw the movie. Yeah, he just came up with this. And now he's like every This has been going on this whole time. Ten percent of children are being trafficked and no one's done anything like okay andrew why don't you go to the grocery store (laughs) why don't you go to the grocery store and um like whatever way that you got that range target like whether it is like putting the gun in between your legs just jumping up and down (laughs) (laughs) just doing that um you know time is
0: a waste in here i mean I don't want I don't want to sound a moral panic about movies, but I, I kind of feel the, about the sound of freedom the way uh, people used to think about um, the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix in that. I think that this movie is likely to inspire violence of some kind now. I mean, I mean, not really, but I, I have really enjoyed seeing the reactions to the sound of freedom, including continued videos of people showing up in empty movie theaters to be like, what are they? Why isn't anyone here? What, 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 what the air conditioning is on too, too much or too little, and just like, or just like something, something's not right here, something's happening. But I do think that this is like kind of the, the future of all movie marketing. It's because, like, look, I mean, like, they, there's an actor's strike now. So I, I don't know. I think studios should, it should just they should be buying tickets to their own movies. Like, like <laughs> would the Flash have bombed so bad if Warner Brothers had done the, the Angel Studios strategy of just buying theaters full of empty uh, seats? use ticket sales i don't know they should
2: well, i'm into so like yeah uh that was the libs of a tiktok thing uh she posted um she was um going to the regular time to watch movies which is like 11 a.m on a tuesday just nothing else going on uh time to go see a movie but she she like went in and uh all the seats were empty because someone bought all the tickets and she said what the fuck this uh this said sold out and it's totally empty but it's like what would the function of that be? Like if George Soros is doing that?
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, what what is the theory here?
2: Like, oh, uh, we have to prevent this by by uh, we have to prevent this from spreading by word of mouth. So we'll just we'll buy like tens of millions of dollars of tickets, but no one will actually see it.
0: Uh, yeah, I think so. It's like uh, the, the fact that the movie can claim to be commercially successful is irrelevant to the the cabal if they can prevent eyeballs from being, being this powerful message from being shared.
1: Or the traffickers themselves are actually staking out the screenings, and then when good potential anti-trafficking patriots show up to the screenings, they are trafficking them at the door... Away from there, the movie, okay, so that is why the movie theater is we, empty.
2: We did we did say that last time. Uh, you uh, when when you know Matt said that his theater is pretty empty, that that's a possibility. But like, I don't. They're just they're just throwing things like anything that happens is just like proof that uh people are working against it.
0: Yeah, uh, not many people know this, but um, at most movie theater, like like most multiplex cinemas, there is they they keep one sort of like the special theater. And it's like it's at like the last theater. And you walk in through the door and you go to sit down in what you think is a movie theater. But you've actually walked into the back of a truck on a loading dock. And then they <laughs> close the doors and you're in a shipping container and you're being trafficked. That happened to half yes. of the people who saw The Flash. Luckily, <laughs> we made it out. All right. Well, uh, moving on, let's, let's, let's talk some uh, new business or things that I did not get to on uh, last week's show because we blew the roof off of the Cajun Conspiracy the Roo, the rue the Rue stratagem um, uh, but this this concerns uh, RFK RFK jr, and there's been some uh, very good stuff lately happening on the Robert F. Kennedy jr. presidential campaign uh this be, this begins with an article I was going to talk about last week uh, that comes courtesy of page six that I think is like the first like pulitzer level campaign reporting for the twenty twenty four election season. Uh, headline. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. press dinner explodes in war of words and farting. (laughs) Uh, It's Okay, Camelot, it ain't. Page Six regrets to report that a press dinner to boost Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential campaign descended into a foul bout of screaming and polemic farting Tuesday night. The White House hopeful attended the affair at Tony's on the Upper East Side, no doubt hoping to impress on the ladies and gentlemen of the Fourth Estate his worthiness to sit at the very same Oval Office desk once occupied by his late uncle. Uh, But a shouting match over the climate change broke out between two boisterous old men, sending the evening down an extremely unfortunate path. The gaseous exchange, to which Page Six bore reluctant witness, began after a guest asked Kennedy, founder of the ecological organization Waterkeeper Alliance, about the environment. It seemed that the mere inquiry was enough to set off apparently drunk gossip columnist turned flack Doug Deshert, the host of the event, who became enraged and screamed at the top of his lungs, the climate hoax. Meanwhile, octogenarian art critic Anthony Hayden Guest, who had appeared to have been sleeping happily for most of the dinner, was roused by the abrupt rumpus. He suddenly opened his eyes and denounced his longtime pal Descher, calling him a miserable blob. Shut up, implored Hayden Guest. Hayden Guest tells us he was not asleep. I was just thinking. He told us, and says that he is the one who asked the question about the environment. Desher continued to scream wildly about climate to the climate change scam, while Hayden guests peppered him with verbal volleys from across the table, calling him variously "fucking insane" and "insignificant." Meanwhile, Kennedy, a prospective president of the United States, watched calmly. Here it seems Desher sensed the need for a new rhetorical tack and let rip a loud, prolonged fart while yelling as if to underscore his points. I'm farting. <laughs> <laughs> I would highly recommend looking up this page six article just to see the uh, the like just to see what Mr. Deshart and Anthony Hayden guest uh look like. Uh, Mr. Deshart because it is very fitting.
2: I like that, um, the high level uh Kennedy campaign dinners are like um, like the class that they put Precious in in the movie. <laughs> It's like it literally it is it's like, like the remedial like, uh, and like bad kids class for donors. It's like, yeah.
0: It's exactly. It's like season four of The Wire where uh, Bunny <laughs> has the class for like all the disruptive kids who are just yeah. like, yeah, all the corner kids who can't sit still and are screaming the entire time so other kids can't learn. Yeah. this is <laughs> like, like you were like, if you, you have is to, Mr. Presbo, fuck you. <laughs> yeah,
2: you have to be an RFK donor if you're like too fucked up to be a Trump donor. Like you can't like that's like failing out of the classes they have for like kids on the football team who they want to keep on. This is just this is the most remedial (laughs) classroom I've ever heard of.
1: I I also like that given the age and location of all these people, it sounds like the group of pe- like the last men standing from the people who couldn't get in the room when John F. Kennedy was hanging out with the Rat Pack, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like a bunch of uh, guys who imagine themselves as like hep cats in like 1963 and just are the ones who made it to 85 before they died of like lung cancer or uh, some kind of stomach ulcer from surviving only on whiskey <laughs> for 20 years.
0: I like it. It's I ring like it. A ding. It's ring a ding ding <laughs> for this climate change bunk. <laughs> hey, Dino used to fart in my mouth all the time back at the sands.
2: And RFK is just like letting this happen. To, like <laughs> that's, that's like he's not like uh, this is ridiculous. We're above this. He's like, no, we should let this play out. It's. Well, I I got to hear both these guys out.
0: <sighs> Mister Deschards is a very old friend. We got to hear what he has to say. Uh, The room, which included a handful of journalists as well as Kennedy's campaign manager, former representative Dennis Kucinich, was stunned, seemingly unsure about whether DeSherit was farting at Hayden Guest personally or at the very notion of global warming. Regrettably, we may assure readers that there was no room for doubt that the climate changed in the immediate environs of the dinner table. <laughs> the candidate maintained a steady composure in the face of the crisis. Former Page Six reporter Flo Anthony attempted to change the subject, telling Kennedy how much he admired his father, the tragic Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy. Sadly, and somewhat inexplicably, another guest brought things back to climate change, leading to another round of yelling. We're told Deshert and Hayden guests have known each other for three decades. When asked about the comment about his or outburst the next day, Deschert told us, I apologize for using my flatulence as a medium of public commentary in your presence. He also asked us to refer to him as either a gallivanting boulevardier or a beer-fueled <laughs> sex rocket. <laughs> a beer-fueled sex rocket.
2: How old is, how old is uh, do dude How old is <laughs> At
0: least 60, at least in his 60s.
2: Damn. Yeah, this is. I wouldn't say his campaign is like above this. This is like, (laughs) yeah, this is pretty much what the RFK campaign deserves. Was this the same dinner where he was like, you know, Jews and Chinese people uh, descended? Yes, (laughs)
0: yeah, yes, Felix. In fact, it actually was. It was literally the same dinner. I I, I was like, I was like, yeah. So, I mean, uh, it says that uh, this, this is the follow up to this story. The New York Post obtained a video from a recent RFK Jr. event where he suggested COVID is a Chinese bioweapon ethnically targeted to attack Caucasians and Black people and to spare Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese people. Okay, like the first problem, well, i just say the, the, the first I... problem I have with this is that Ashkenazi Jews love going to the doctor more than anything. So the idea that there would be a a bioweapon to spare them from that is quite disturbing. Well,
2: I mean, we still get to go to the doctor. We still, like, get to go to the doctor and get the shot. I mean, like, RFK made this point in the worst way possible. But, (laughs) What was the point? (laughs) Well, I... Okay, I've never tested positive for COVID. No one in my family who's even gotten it has, like, even, like felt sick ever. So like maybe, but then, um, then I'm sure there's a counter example of a different Jewish guy who like, um, you know, uh, had to get, uh, three limbs amputated because of COVID. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to, we'll have to take it up with the scientific community. No, he, um, he did the thing I hate the most, which is like, he said this, he said, this was a bio that was specifically made to <laughs> exclude Jews and Chinese people um, and then was like, I didn't say that.
0: The follow-up here, this is uh, ABC News. Uh, RFK Jr. accused of making anti-Semitic racist claims about COVID-19, but insists he was misunderstood. In a brief phone interview with ABC News on Sunday, Kennedy insisted he was appalled. He said his comments about immunity had been misunderstood, specifically over how a news report implied he was talking about some ethnicities being spared. He also invoked his famous family's history of supporting Israel. My father was in Israel prior to the creation of the Israeli state and spent a lifetime fighting for Israel, fighting for its rights to exist and for a strong alliance with the United States, he said, adding my own campaign. One of the primary themes of this campaign is to bring the Democratic Party back to its traditional support for Israel. There is nobody who is running for president today who is a stronger champion for Israel than myself in an interview with ABC what an News, outsider.
2: I can really <laughs> see why they want to take him
0: down. But OK, the guy he's got coming off the bench for him. Oh, boy. It's Rabbi Shmuley biotech It's the official rabbi of the RFK Jr. campaign who they're uh, trotting out to said um, that there's absolutely nothing anti-Semitic about what he said. He said, well, you know what, Bobby? I think the opposite is true. I witnessed the decimation of Ashkenazi Jews in the New York Hasidic community in Crown Heights. They lost 80 senior rabbis in the first month to COVID, all Ashkenazi Jews. He said that while the two disagree vociferously on a number of topics, they still speak nearly every day. Biotech added that Kennedy he believes Kennedy is an ally to Jews, not an anti-Semite, but he condemned Kennedy's comments. In a statement sent by his campaign challenging The post headline on his story, Kennedy maintained that he, was, he has never, ever suggested that the COVID-19 virus was engineered to spare Jews. Well, uh, so what to make of this? I, I, do, I, did, I did enjoy well, well, it. Well, Shmuly is a great character.
2: Yeah, well, I'm, okay, so let's, let's try to see it from his perspective, okay? Why would the Chinese spare Jews, like, why would they be like, we need to, we need to make a virus that, like, um, it'll be fun for us Jews. Um, I sort of picture it like, no, no, no one at the Jewish uh, cabal asked for it. They were just like, this will, <laughs> this will impress them if we're like, hey, we made this whole virus, but you can't get it. Isn't that cool? I think it would be like when um, Japanese game makers put uh, Golems and Dibbix in their games to impress Jews. In East Asia, there's a lot of weebism for the Jewish people. Yeah. And so this way, this might be connected.
0: It's like, you know, when the Japanese Imperial government was given the Protocols of the Elders of Zion by the Third Reich and they were like, "Damn, you know, these guys are on yeah. point. We got to you know, we, we gotta start fucking <laughs> with these these chosen people. They're they, they got their shit locked down."
2: They when they read Protocols. It was like in state property when Beanie Siegel saw Memphis Bleek kill the guy in the strip club. <laughs> He's like, "You need someone like
0: that on your crew." <laughs> But I'm saying I'm saying to blacks and Caucasians, you either get down or you lay down, (laughs) motherfuckers. (laughs) I mean, I don't know, like, like the whole like uh, Caucasians and blacks are more susceptible to COVID-19. I mean, like, is this just is this going off the hashtag died suddenly? Like, you know, uh, sort of uh, where, you know, prominent athletes or like Lance Reddick drops dead and like that raises an eyebrow or two.
2: I don't know, because okay like isn't is natural immunity like fine or not like what 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 point is he making here that covid is still extremely deadly for like just regular white people and black people but you shouldn't take the vaccine or presumably yeah. like get <laughs> intubated but yeah. you should you should take like i don't like the antibody shit that they did in Florida. I don't
0: like. I mean, I've remected it. I mean, once again, like it's something we've talked about on the show over and over again. When it comes to COVID hysteria of either variety, what do you want from me? Like, what should I do? Give me some practical instructions about how to metabolize these claims that you're making. Because ninety percent of the time, it's just sort of like, "Fuck it!" Like, I'm either going to die or I'm not. Who cares? Shut up.
2: Yeah, and there's like he's so all over the place with this. Like I thought. Like, if you're going to say, like, COVID's fake, fuck the vaccine, okay, but then going in a whole other direction where it's like, oh, actually, it's um so dangerous that it's a racial bioweapon. Like, okay, then may- like, maybe people should get the vaccine. What are you saying? You don't even know what you're doing. You're not even a good crank. He saw, I, I- he's so fucked. <laughs> like, he can't do anything right.
0: Shmuley Biotech is like the perfect person to be on board with the RFK Jr. campaign because like he's one of my absolute favorite characters. And one of my favorite things in the video he released um, sort of uh, supporting RFK and saying that he's not an anti-Semite. One of the examples he used that he couldn't possibly be an anti-Semite is that his father was killed by Sirhan Sirhan for his support of Israel. Less than a year ago, RFK Jr. said Sirhan Sirhan didn't kill his father and should be let out of prison. Well, that's, like, the one thing
2: he's right about. Yes. Like, Sirhan, like, that is, like, okay. Like, yeah. Okay, I agree there. But everything else is just, everything else he, like, goes out of his way to be wrong on topics that usually don't go together. Like, he's he's a combination of, like, Chuck Baldwin and the Constitution Party's positions in 2008 and then, like, Joe Lieberman. It, yeah. it is
0: it is the candidacy for no one. Well, it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's for someone. It's, there, there, are, there are people out there. His David Sachs. His is, is resonating, yeah. Um, RFK also got in hot water less. I mean, like, th- this one's kind of stupid. It says Twitter ignites after RFK Jr. calls Ice Cube influential civil rights leader. And, you know, he got his photo taken with him and stuff. And Ice Cube wanted to clarify that he does not. It was, was not an endorsement. But I mean, like the, the, this seems into, like the more tepid RFK Jr. Controversies.
2: Ice Cube, Ice Cube, I, I, Ice Cube was a neighborhood activist.
0: No, yeah, he, he's also, he a, he's also of, an he anti-vax guy.
2: I'm i more care about his work where he like rid the neighbor, the neighborhood of uh, Debo. They yeah. got rid of those gangbangers <laughs> in Rancho Cucamonga. I forget what happens in Friday in Friday after next, but I'm, I'm sure some more good deeds.
0: If he look if uh if he supports Ice Cube uh, and that that's good that's good enough for me I like that that's that's in the win column for RFK Jr. So he's not gonna not gonna uh, get get a scolding from me and calling him a civil rights leader even if it is a bit.
2: A Do you bit remember much, when uh I, Ice Cube um uh, he posted he posted like some like Black Israelite thing I forget what or something it was like before the Kyrie thing actually right but um this guy like morton klein who's the head of uh zionist organization of america which is like i don't know in previous years i would call it like too slightly to the right of apac it's sort of like gun owners of america versus the nra yeah um but now they're pretty much like openly in lockstep. there's no real reason for zoa to exist i would say uh but Mort, Mort Klein met with Ice Cube to prove he is an anti-Semitic. And then in several follow-up posts said, uh, my friend, the black rapper Ice Cube has <laughs> learned a lot about the Jewish people and the Holocaust. I'm very proud of the black rapper Ice Cube. That's now I think about that. Anytime I think of Ice Cube, just uh, Mort Klein saying the black rapper Ice Cube, my friend, hmm.
0: I got to say uh, going from saying um, I'll never have dinner with the president to having dinner with the head of uh, with Mort Klein. Sorry, that's, a, that's, that's an L for Ice Cube right there. Um,
2: oh, 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 OK. I found I found one of the posts. This is good. I, Mort Klein, just had a two hour conversation with Ice Cube. We both grew up poor in black hoods. Cube told me he thanked Jews for starting the NAACP, many black schools in fighting for black civil rights. Cube told me he supports condemning black and all anti-Semitism. And I condemned all racism. This what this is a, this was July of 2020. This is the only good thing that happened in 2020. Yeah. Was the the Ice Cube and fucking Mort
0: Klein meeting. To us, Uncle Sam is Hitler without the ovens. That's my favorite Ice Cube line. Uh, Well, moving on from um, RFK Jr. Let's check in on the DeSantis campaign. And uh, the first thing I need to talk about is we need to break down the provenance of the video of DeSantis going mm, hungry uh,
2: hungry. OK, so because, that because because apparently
0: it is fake, it,
2: it, it is fake, but it's like I
0: choose to believe it's real.
2: It feels realer than any like it doesn't it doesn't feel fake, you know, how different is that from like the weird faces he makes and the off putting things he always does.
0: I think that, like, the the DeSantis mmm, hungry Uh, hungry. video clip is not true in a literal sense, but this is sort of like a Straussian meta-truth. It communicates an emotional truth that is realer than uh, fact-checking can can account for. And I I will note that the main fact-check on this came courtesy of Newsweek, which is just sort of like the DeSantis man house uh, menu. But, you know, It doesn't, it doesn't need to be real for it to be true. Mm, Hungry. Uh,
2: Hungry. Yeah, no, it is. He's probably done that in the past, just not on video.
0: (laughs) But, okay, let me ask you this. If, uh, if DeSantis has just been sated by eating a large and very satisfying meal, do you think he would rub his tummy in sort of contentment? We sort of pat or rub his stomach and go, hmm
2: yeah and I think I think when he sleeps, he gets like a a big, weird bubble in his mouth, like um the horny teacher from Dragon Ball Z
0: <laughs> does he continue, does he perpetually keep a um a feather floating just above his mouth as he sleeps yeah. and goes <laughs> <laughs> yeah no he's
2: he's a tune. he does all the tune things,
0: okay. Uh, this next one is the first actual victory, or like the first actual good thing I've seen the DeSantis campaign do, and that's um, a Trump pack vi- uh, posted a video showing what appears to be a Ron DeSantis canvasser caught on a ring video uh, describing how he tells off unfriendly people: "Eat my balls, eat my big hairy sack, and I'm a little stone, so I don't care." Fuck you! Get off my fucking lawn. Then I'd be like, "Yo, eat my balls, honestly."
1: Eat my big, hairy sack. You want
0: to sack. <laughs> That's, and I'm a little stumped, so I don't... Even- <laughs> so there's like a, a rude DeSantis teen um, uh, telling people as he knocks on doors to suck his dick, he's high, fuck you. Which I think is probably the most effective voter outreach that Ron DeSantis' campaign has ever done.
2: Yeah, I was... Um, with this guy, I... He doesn't seem like a true DeSantis head.
0: No, he's clearly someone who's just been doing it for money. Like, it's, yeah, just, a, it's yeah. just a paycheck. Yeah. But also, um, another headline, DeSantis campaign sheds staff amid cash crunch. Uh, basically, he's running out of money. Uh, it says here, fewer than, 10, fewer than 10 staffers were let go by the Florida governor's campaign Thursday, according to a person familiar with internal deliberations and granted anonymity to describe them. Each of the aides was involved in event planning, and some of them may soon wind up at an allied outside group. Never back down. The pro-DeSantis super PAC has received resumes from staffers who'd been let go. A person familiar with the group said. Then we have another piece in the, in the Washington Post: a long slog inside DeSantis's early struggles and effort to rebound. "Quote here: Nothing in the last eight weeks or so would convince anyone. Holy moly, we've got to pack up our tent and go home," said Republican strategist Dave Carney who is working on the presidential bid and is a longtime advisor to another governor, Republican Greg Abbott of Texas. He's got plenty of time to recover and get back to where he was in January or February, but a lot of wasted time. DeSantis has expressed confidence in his position and the ground game his allies are building in early states. We just gave you the story about his ground game in in early states. (laughs) Watch and learn, he said in Iowa on Friday when asked how he diminished Trump's lead. Don't believe me? Just watch. Just watch. <laughs> it says, uh, but one donor who recently hosted an event for DeSantis described hearing his sentiments such as, what's going on? And does he even have a chance from associates? This donor was trying to get other rich Republicans to give to DeSantis, but most wanted to keep their powder dry after his lackluster beginning. Still, even attendees at DeSantis events have been drawn to Trump's charisma, and the former president took the opportunity to draw concrete contrast, joking that his rival needed a personality transplant. On the trail, DeSantis can be brief with voters and terse with reporters. And just to um, uh, crown off the latest DeSantis news, I got a real kick out of this is um, this is a blog uh, done at the National Review by Rich Lowry. Like I, I I say a blog post. This is more like a Twitter post. I was like, this is the sum total of Rich Lowry's uh, like little posts on the National Review. It says here the only problem Ron DeSantis has is that he's running against Donald Trump. There's been a lot of conversation about the DeSantis stall lately, and it's true. He didn't get a big bounce from his announcement. There are various reasons advanced for DeSantis not getting more traction, some of which have validity. He's not an electric campaigner. He's emphasized his anti-woke agenda to the exclusion of other important things. But we aren't looking at a campaign with the flaws of a highly touted campaigns that have flamed out over the years. No, I think the biggest problem he has is that Trump still has a grip on the party and loosening it is an enormous and very tricky task if Trump worked in the race, DeSantis pretty clearly would be the front runner. That doesn't change the situation, obviously, but we should be clear about what's going on. So that, that's his problem. Um, he would definitely be in the lead right now if Trump wasn't also running for president.
2: Yeah, if we lived in an entirely different reality.
0: Um, another article, Rupert Murdoch begins to suspect DeSantis is actually a loser. <laughs> and then, like, they also said like, a lot of this, these big money GOP donors are starting to look at Tim Scott, this is courtesy of Politico. Top donors souring on DeSantis start looking to Tim Scott. Good luck.
2: Uh, just like, in, like just looking at him in general for like a <laughs> particular role.
0: They're just, they love looking at him. It says here, uh, the, Oh, Oh, Haim Saban. I oh, know it is Andy Saban and a metal mogul and Republican, <laughs> metal mogul and Republican contributor says of Tim Scott. He's the one guy running. Who's got some personality and charisma. His delivery is terrific. That is been, the main thing people
2: think with Tim Scott is charisma.
0: But basically, yeah, it's just um DeSantis uh, continues to circle the drain. Um got no charm, no personality, and he's uh we'll see how he rebrands. Uh did you see like the DeSantis campaign put out a video that was attacking Trump on his like support for the <laughs> LGBT inclusion in the Republican Party?
2: Yeah, I saw I I saw that and it was interesting because um Well, you know, my favorite guy, Scott Pressler, the persistence.
0: Oh, the persistence. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He replied to that and he went, um, pretty good question. I thought like, what do you think of me? Because, you know, Pressler is how effective. I don't know. He seems to always go to these places where, uh, Republicans like lose Senate races by like 40 points. And he's like, well, I'm going canvassing, but he's like this openly gay Trump guy. Who's just disgustingly positive. And goes around doing all this shit. And it was like, okay, like, is there a place at the party for the weirdest gay guys who have ever lived? All the Trump gay guys from 2016, like Scott Pressler. But then, more interesting than that, a bunch of, like, just normal Trump people, like the regular shitheads you see that just, like, buy blue checks and like Trump but aren't, like, media figures, were, they were just openly saying, like, this is unnerving and like, and turns people off and is just like pointlessly hateful, which I I found very interesting. I don't know. Like that's probably like mostly just because it's like in opposition to Trump, but it is, uh, we have said that before that like DeSantis is so off putting and like just cruel for the sake of cruelty that it turns off like even people who like share most of his opinions.
0: Yeah. And it's just like, like the, the thing is like Trump did very well with the message that he wasn't a normal Republican and that he was like inviting gay people and not white people to like, remember when he said, what do you have to lose? You know, hop in, on, in, board, right, hop on right. the get, get out, get down with the party.
2: In 2016, in 2016, Trump won because he was seen as more moderate. I don't think that exactly will happen again, but it is like, you know, even though it's a stupid reason to vote for him, that is an important, it's an important piece of the formula. And it's something that like, just no one will ever see with DeSantis. I don't think.
0: And uh, the last thing I want to talk about in regards to the, um, Republican, uh, primary is, uh, remember that guy, burgum n-
2: n- D- Doug, is burgum is that his only name? Oh, <laughs>
0: Doug, Doug burgum Doug- Who is this again? He is the uh, North uh, North or South Dakota governor who's running for the Republican nomination. Doug Burgum. We talked about him like two weeks ago. (laughs) I uh,
2: do not remember him.
0: Yeah, he's the governor of North Dakota, who is, you know, uh, despite our awareness, uh, running for uh, the Republican nomination for president. Okay, says inside the GOP presidential candidate gift card ploy, turning campaign finance upside down. Doug Burgum, the Republican governor of North Dakota, is running for president, but he has a problem. Most voters don't know who he is. Burgum has a solution for that, to make a splash on the debate stage. But there's another problem. The Republican National Committee requires at least 40,000 individual donors as one of its criteria for allowing a candidate on the debate stage. And Burgum is far from a household name who could gather all those donors. So Burgum, once again, come up with a novel solution. He wants to give 50,000 campaign donors $20 all-purpose gift cards in exchange for a $1 contribution. It's a million-dollar gambit that could work a lot more effectively than spending $1 million on on a meager number of television ads. But the clever strategy could create its own set of thorny problems, according to experts who say it may not be legal. Beyond that, the RNC may not find it meets their new donor requirements for qualification. Some believe the scheme, while perhaps unsavory, does pass legal muster as a campaign expense. Burgum would not need to qualify for the debate if he weren't a candidate, they said. So in that sense, his expenses passed the FEC's irrespective test. Other experts, however, have argued that the ploy appears to be a reimbursement scheme which would violate the straw donor ban, contributions in the name of another person. And some said it could add up to an en masse conversion of $950,000 in campaign funds to personal use, which would be another serious violation. So basically... They they're going to give you twenty dollars to donate one dollar to his campaign. So if any sort of I don't know entrepreneurial listeners, that sounds like free money to me.
2: I gotta say, I um, similar to how I forgot who Doug Burzum is. Um, <laughs> I just um, if you put a gun to my head and made me recap what you just told me, I, I think I would die on the spot. I do not. This, this is like. Um, one of those uh, schemes where like kids say they're selling candy bars for a basketball team,
0: (laughs) just (laughs) incredibly
2: complicated. And like um, I would even, I could even see this working because if he was explaining this to me in person, I would give him $3 to stop, to stop (laughs) trying to explain this to me.
0: Well, it's already working. I mean, like you've been made aware again of who Doug Burzum is. So i mean in a in a very literal,
2: in a very literal sense, I guess you know I'm aware yeah, nothing else I just associate him with like um the feeling of um being taught a card game, i guess, but <laughs> he's you know we're talking about him again,
0: yeah, uh I associate him more with um thulian perspectives thulian perspectives on government. I wish we should be so lucky um. I guess, like, the last thing going on is uh, actors are on strike now. I got to say, I was kind of surprised by this. Like, I was, I had assumed that, like, the studios were going to basically give a better deal to SAG to, like, sort of drive a wedge between them and the WGA to, like, make the the WGA strike harder. Like, I just thought they were going to cut them a better deal to sort of cleave them off from the other major industry union. But it appears it's, a, it's they've told them to go fuck themselves, too. So no movies or television for a long time. That should be fun.
2: Yeah, I was already sad that, um you know, we weren't getting any new SVU until um, quarter four, 2023. But now there's just now there's just really nothing to look forward to.
0: Did you see Ron Perlman threatening to burn down the house of <laughs> the producer?
2: Yeah, that was kind of cool. I did. He see, was going play uh, mode. I, I did see someone. um I saw a funny exchange. Someone was like, does Ron Perlman like think he's the characters that he plays in movies. And someone was like, Oh yeah. You don't think Ron Perlman's a tough guy. He pissed on his hand before he met Harvey Weinstein. And that's like, it doesn't <laughs> sp- strike me as like tough. That doesn't, st- that's like not something that like a scary criminal would do. That's just like, you, have, you, you have piss on your hand too.
0: I mean, I don't wash my hands after I, I, all over them and I, I touch people all the time that's just that's a normal behavior to me i'm not a, i'm not a tough guy i'm no hero i just like keeping piss on my hands and touching people
2: yeah that's how you get into the gds you have to have piss on your hands for three minutes
0: i mean like uh i i and when, Fra- when fran drescher was addressing it i mean apparently one of the uh the things that was proposed by the uh american association of producers or whatever was that background actors like could be scanned digitally and then have their likenesses used forever without being paid a single cent. That's a a rather disturbing uh, development in all this, but that's fine. I mean like, yeah, (laughs) It, it is nuts though to like see these guys go on TV and plead poverty about like, we can't possibly like their, their demands just aren't realistic. And I understand like actors and writers are sort of like the highest echelon of union labor in terms of like, the type of job they do and the amount that they get compensated for their work. But it isn't, it is insane reading some of these stories about how like the elite, the cast of Orange is the New Black has received like 30 cents in residuals for like what Netflix claimed was like the biggest show they've ever done.
2: Right, right. And it's also like a lot of them are like the highest echelon of like union labor. But there is, there was like a robust middle class of actor that could make a very good living like appearing as um you you know good character actors on network or streaming tv shows and make like not an extravagant but pretty good income through residuals and it seems like every everything that's like that in america any any like indirect path to comfort uh and um uh like anything below just the highest level but still um taking advantage of some part of the the system has slowly been phased out entirely. That seems to be completely impossible. Now you just, you have to either be in the highest tier of the acting profession, or you have to like do it in addition to working for DoorDash. Now
0: i mean, like, that seems to be the way things are going. in so many aspects of American life is like things that were once taken for granted, just in terms of like, do I pay money for this product that I can use after I buy it? Or like the expectations that you have of like what exchanging money for a good or service entitles you to is now being like, that only encompasses like the the theoretical use of that good or service, but to like actually access it, you need to like, as I was talking about airlines, you need to like be in like like pay again to enter some higher tier of like to, to get like the luxury service is what the like, used to be like the standard that you could expect of anything. And like, yeah, it's the same thing with jobs as well. Yeah. Like, and the, 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 ultra, ultra elite have like the people, like for instance, the people who own airline companies like would never fly commercial ever. And like, they're like, they take advantage of infrastructure that exists that we all like depend on. And like, could, could the, could the next president just make private air travel illegal? Because, I mean, like, air travel is wasteful enough as it is, but at the same time, it, like, it convinces time and space in a way that no other mode of transportation can do. And as such, it's very necessary And that, like, the, you know, access to that should be, you know, widely available. But it's just, like, the, the, they've created for themselves this, like, whether you're, like, Bob Iger or Zaslav or guys like this, like, they, they, I just, like, the way they feel entitled to, like, million over the last five years for like owning a movie studio or whatever. But like, like if you, if you can't still make money as a movie studio, like without paying the people who fucking uh, create movies for you, then like, why should there be a movie studio? Like, why are you entitled to all this fucking money? Like, what do you do for it? What do you like? What entitles you to all this shit that like everyone else's demands on you are so fucking unrealistic. Anyway, it just seems like everything's getting shittier (laughs) <laughs> like everything and su- like everything sucks and everything is getting shittier and shittier and i all i can do is oh what what, what is what can one even do just throw up your hands I, I mean i don't know but it sucks everything sucks sorry all right uh actually can i make a uh can i make a plea to our canadian listeners before we uh exit the show all right Canadian listeners of the show, as you might remember, we are going to be in Fair Canada in August in Montreal and Toronto for two live shows. I would like to um, ask our Canadian listeners of the show to um, suggest to me, who are your favorite awful Canadian media figures? Who are the best shitheads in the Canadian media? Opinion columnists, TV presenters. People who I can like people who I can uh sort of give I, I would like to give an accurate and uh full bodied rundown or I'd like to make a selection from some of your choices of the worst members of uh, of the people that you have to deal with and see on TV in Canada all the time that I maybe not be so much familiar with. But I would like I would like you to email chapotraphouse at gmail dot com, use the subject line, uh Canadian shitheads or <laughs> And just share with me some links to, you know, keep it brief. Like, you know, just give me one or two people of your favorites and send me links to columns that you may think would be uh, funny for us to explore on stage in Montreal and Toronto. So, yeah, House at gmail.com. Subject line, Canadian shitheads. Uh, Chris, is there still tickets available? Uh, there are tickets available
1: Uh The Toronto show on August 17th at the Danforth Music Hall is almost sold out, but I think that we're actually going to release a handful more tickets uh, in the next few days. Uh, Montreal tickets still available. Uh, Despite our Ticketmaster bungle saying it was sold out almost immediately, we do have uh, a fair amount
0: of tickets left for that. Get those while you can. All right, gentlemen, uh, that does it for today's show. Uh, Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Before
2: I get off this... The motherfucker who said we're gonna keep this thing going until people start losing their houses and their apartments. Listen to me, motherfucker. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. Some of it is financial, some of it is karma, and some of it is just figuring out who the fuck said that, and we know who said that, and where he fucking lives. There's a lot of ways to lose your house.